Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, find life, make a difference, and reach our world. If you have any questions or you want to learn more about us as a church, you can always check us out online simply by going to gracelife.church or on our YouTube channel. You can always find video content of all our messages as well as services for your preschool and elementary school kids. In the beginning, the Garden of Eden was God's intent, created out of His love towards us, the goodness of a good God. God created Adam and put him in a world where he would thrive. So why doesn't our world look like the original garden? Where did it go wrong? Join us for this six-week series as we explore the root of everything, good and bad. It can all be found in the garden. All right, everybody, welcome to Grace Life. It is so good to be worshiping with you. We want to especially welcome our first-time guests, whether they are online or in the room, would everybody help me welcome them wherever they are? So glad to have you guys worshiping with us. Well, hey, I'm going to jump right in because I'm super excited. Was that cool or what? Uh, we have been planning this series for a really long time. This idea first came to birth about three or four years ago. I, I do a one-year Bible reading every year, and so I was right at the beginning of the year, probably about day two, I believe, and I was reading uh, the story of the garden, Genesis 2 and 3, and, and just noticed something I'd never seen before, and that is that everything is in the garden, like everything, the root of everything good in our lives, everything good we wish was in our life, everything bad that's in our world, the root of everything is in the garden. And I started thinking, maybe if we could actually go back to the beginning and understand what happened, we could fix a little bit of what's going on in our lives today. And so I think, I hope, I believe that this series will change your life because I think it's going to, first of all, change your view of God. I think it's going to change your view of yourself. And I think it's going to change your view of life. And I'm going to tell you why that is. Because as we go back and we look at what we see in the garden, what we're going to find out is, first of all, what was meant to be and then what should not be. Did y'all get that? We're going to discover what was meant to be and what should not be. And then we're really going to figure out we actually have those reversed in our lives most of the time. And so uh, in order for us to get the most out of the series, I'm just going to go ahead and give you a roadmap of exactly how this is going to work. This is going to be a six-part series, uh, so six weeks and the first part today, we're going to be looking at the plan, what was meant to be, what did God intend for us. Uh, then we're going to do the four parts in the middle, talking about what should not be. We're going to look at everything that went wrong, and then we're going to close the series out with some really good news of how God is going to get us back to what was meant to be, get us back to the plan that he has for us. So uh, I, I want to go ahead and just encourage you to maybe read Genesis chapter 2 and 3, two short little chapters, sometime throughout the series, maybe even before next week. You're going to get a lot more out of it if the story is uh, recently in your mind, so, so go and check that out. Um, all right, so hey, I'm going to start off with a confession, uh, and the good news is it's not a sinful confession. I didn't do anything that I have to repent to you of, but my confession is still humorous nonetheless because I, I, I confess that I grew up watching the Smurfs. There you go. I knew somebody was going to laugh at me for that. I am glad at least somebody said amen. I'm glad I'm not alone in that. In my defense, I am old enough that I grew up when there were only three TV channels. And so that's kind of the reason. And so if you're a kid on Saturday morning and you want to watch cartoons, you don't have a lot of options. And so at a certain point in the morning, the Smurfs come on, you watch the Smurfs. That's the way it is. So don't make fun of me anymore. 
But, but here's the reason I'm telling you that story, because if you know anything about the Smurfs, it begins out with, with all these little happy blue things, right? And they're singing, la, 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 la. You know, they got their little song, and they're happy. There's all these colors. They're dancing, and they're joyous. But then at a certain moment, the music changes, and it turns very sinister, and all of the colors change, and it all goes black and gray, and then there's lightning bolts, and, and a character comes in. His name is Gargamel. And he's, he's an evil sorceress, always dressed in black, and he has an evil cat, which is why I'm a dog person for the record, just so you know. Uh, but Gargamel shows up all the time. And, and the crazy thing is Gargamel's not even a Smurf, but he turns out to be basically one of the main characters in the Smurfs. If you watched an episode, you might only see a handful of the Smurfs, but you would always see Gargamel. There was never an episode that did not have Gargamel. And the reason I'm telling you that story is because if we think about the garden, the first character that comes to mind for almost every one of us is the snake. Come on, how many of you, the first character that comes to mind when you think about the garden is the snake, right? And if I said, well, who's second? Then a lot of us would say Eve because we think of what happened between the snake and Eve in the garden. And then we, we think of Adam maybe third, as I talk to people, this is usually the order that it comes in, because Adam seems to be kind of absentee, not doing his job and just getting in trouble as we come near the end of the story. And then ultimately, the, the final character on that list is God, because we seem to read it as though he just kind of shows up at the very end and tells everybody how bad their life is going to be. And, and we, we seem to think that the garden is all about what went wrong. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine that I've known for over 30 years, knew him ever since high school, just about two weeks ago. And uh, what started the conversation is because he's always asking these questions on Facebook. And I don't get into Facebook conversations, and, and it, I felt it was spirit-led for me to do this because I just don't do that. I, I don't care for social media in the first place. Uh, but he was always uh, posting these things about what would go wrong in the world, and there's a lot going wrong right now, right? And uh, he was always saying, uh, if there is a benevolent God, how could this be happening? He, is, he would say that he's an agnostic. If he is, he's bordering towards atheism, not bordering towards believers. So he's agnostic, uh, headed towards atheism, and he's always asking these questions. Well, if there is a God, if there was a God, it, it, how could this benevolent God let this happen? And so I, I finally just had to say, why do you assume he's benevolent? Which means good. Why do you assume God is good? Where do you get the idea God is good? You see, I believe in the God of the Bible, but you've already told me you don't believe in the God of the Bible. And if you don't believe in the God of the Bible, what right do you have to assume that some great being out there is actually supposed to be good? Show, show me where it is written that that God would be good if you don't use the Bible. Matter of fact, most pagan religions and most everything else that's ever existed all throughout history, the idea of God is mean, angry, and maybe even downright evil according to the way we would describe it when we look at that. And when we think back to the garden, that is what comes to mind, is all that went wrong. We think of how could a good God let this happen? Matter of fact, a lot of people actually point to the garden to say God isn't good. And so as we go through this series, what we're going to be looking at is a lot that went wrong. But before we get into all that went wrong, we've got to lay a foundation today. And the first part of this series, we want to lay a foundation that there was a good God with good intent in the garden. 
We have a good God who had a good intent for mankind in the garden. That's what I want us to see at first. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can follow right along. It's a very simple story. We're going to start actually at the very end of chapter 1, a very first chapter in your Bible. So if you're new to the Bible, this is going to be easy for you to find. Uh, Go to the very first thing, and there we are, chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 31. But I'm going to go and tell you something as we get started here, as people are turning to that. We're actually going to, to get a list today. I'm going to give you a list of the goodness of God revealed to us in the garden. And I want to encourage you to maybe write that down because at the end of the message today, I'm going to suggest something that you can do with that list if you get the list, if you take notes there. So here we are, 131 of Genesis. It says, and God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And a good question to ask at this point is how can he say that knowing exactly what is about to happen? Right? I mean, this, this sentence comes at the very end of the creation account. God is done with creation. He looks at everything. He looks at what he's made. He looks at it and says, this is good. But we all know, if you're familiar with the story, something very bad is about to take place. Well, I'm going to tell you why God looked at it and said, this is good. Because what God saw was, first of all, he saw what was at that moment. But he also saw everything that he intended for good for you and me. He saw what was meant to be as he looked at his creation at that moment. And I want to help us go back and see what God was doing for us in the garden. So here we go. Back up just a few sentences if you're following along in verse 27. And that's where we're going to start. It says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And so the first good intent that God had for us in the garden that we see is that mankind would be God's image bearer. And so first of all, I want everybody just to go ahead and take a moment and thank God that he did not put us in the shell of a platypus. I mean, come on, y'all, we get to like live life upright. That's a pretty good thing, right? So we should be saying, thank God he chose this image and not one of a platypus. But here's the problem. That's not what that means. And a lot of times we think when we're made in the image of God that it's talking about this because you go and you read the Bible and it says the hand of the Lord is upon you, the eye of the Lord sees you, but we know God is spirit. God doesn't have this body. We have this body. So when it's talking about the idea that we are made in God's image, it's talking about his nature. We represent his nature. His nature is in us. Unfortunately, of course, now that nature is somewhat corrupt in its display through humanity, but his nature is still in us. What that means is that we are supposed to be the revelation of of kindness to the world because God is kind. We are supposed to be the revelation of love because God is love. Matter of fact, that's why there is a capacity in us to be loved, to give love, to receive love, is because there's something in our nature, in God's image, of love. Are you guys getting where this is? Everything in us is that's not corrupt is, is a part of God's image. If I can give you an image, it is the idea of like an ambassador. We are ambassadors. And, and so if on a nation, when they send an ambassador somewhere, let's just say Japan, that'll work for us. When Japan sends someone to be an ambassador, let's say to the United States, they send someone who, first of all, is Japanese because the ambassador is supposed to represent Japan. So they send someone who's Japanese. They send someone who looks Japanese. They send someone who speaks Japanese. They send someone who eats Japanese foods. They send someone who will think the best for the Japanese people and help get the best for the Japanese people. That's that's what a representative is. And we are the representative of God on the earth. And you may say, well, Jimmy, why does that make this God's goodness revealed to us? 
because of the privilege. I want you to stop for a minute. We, we maybe don't ever think about it. I, I was going to say we forgot, but maybe we've never even stopped to think, what an incredible privilege that we alone represent God on, on the earth. We bear his image. You know what that means? God didn't say, hey, you want to see how cool I am? Look at an eagle. Check it flying high in the sky. He didn't say that. You want to see how strong I am? Look at a bear. He didn't say that. He said, if you want to see me, look at them, my prized creation. They alone bear my image. They represent me to the earth. They show the earth who I am. I mean, are you getting the privilege that it is out of everything that he made? Not a tree, not an animal, not, not anything else. We alone have the image of God that we represent to the world. And we have this inherently. I mean, think about it. How many times have we turned on the news and we've seen somebody do something that is, we just say evil, and, and it's horrible. Maybe it's a third world dictator and they do something that is so atrocious, that is so appalling, and we'll say, that is inhumane. How many times have we used the word inhumane? But the correct word for what has been done is ungodly. I mean, when you, when you start, I'm not, I don't want our minds to go to some of the evil things that happened there, but the correct word is ungodly. Why do we use the word inhumane when what was actually done was ungodly? It's because there's something inherent in us that says human is supposed to represent godly. Therefore, inhumane is a good description for ungodly. It's just in us. It says that's the way it's meant to be. The way it's meant to be is we reflect God. We represent God. Let's keep going and find out what else God was doing. We start verse 28. It says, and God blessed them, right? So he just made them male and female. He created them. It says, and God blessed them. And I had to ask myself a question as I started doing research on this because so often in the Bible when you see the phrase, and God blessed them, there's a sentence that comes right after it. And so I was asking, well, wait a minute. If, and God blessed them, and then something comes after it, is what comes after it the blessing or is the blessing a thing in itself? And it turns out the blessing is a thing in itself which shows us the second good intent that God had for his creation, and that is that mankind would be blessed. So what is this thing in and of itself? It is the gift of his favor. It is a state of happiness. When it says, and God blessed them, it means that he is putting them into a place of his favor, that he's putting them into a, a situation and experience where they should be able to experience happiness. In other words, God's intent for us is that we would smile more than we would not, if I could infer a little bit, if you'll let me go there. And so if you're one of those pessimists who is always, I'm just going to tell you, man, you are far from God's intent because God blessed them. Here, my favor experience a state of happiness. That's what the word actually means. When God imparts that to a human, that he's imparting a state of happiness. How many of us would say that we have a state of happiness about our being most of the time? I've got a thing that I do. I pray for my kids uh, every night before they go to bed. And at least when uh, they would come and ask me for it, when they were young, I would, I would do that. And they, that was cool. As they get older, some of the older ones don't want me to do that anymore. But I've still got two that do it on occasion, one that does it every single night. Matter of fact, my youngest daughter will not go to sleep at all if I don't do this. So even when I'm traveling anywhere around the world, it could be midday for me. She's got to FaceTime me so I can pray for her so she can go to bed. And the prayer always starts the same way. I pray that God will bless you. Because what I want for my children is that they would be in an experience of God's favor. 
I want every moment for them to be in a state that hopefully brings a smile to their place because of the favor of God upon them. It was the good intent that God had for us. He goes on, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's third good intent for you and me in the garden was that mankind would rule that mankind would rule. We, we are created by God to have authority over creation. He creates, and then he turns around and gives that authority to us. And I'm gonna tell you, if you've ever wondered some things, again, inherent in our nature is why we get so frustrated with bureaucracy. Does anybody hate bureaucracy? Does anybody hate when you feel really small in a really big system that is ruling your world and you hate it? Like you've got to fill out three forms and there's no point for two of them where you got to stand in this line, but you shouldn't have, I mean, that kind of thing. And it just drives us crazy. And it's because God created us to rule and instead we're being ruled by not even a human, but a system. Like, wait a minute, that's not right because there is something in me that says this creation is supposed to be ruled by me. I'm not supposed to be getting ruled by this. But no, don't miss this point because this is where things go wrong. As we are meant to rule and as we're made in his image, we're meant to rule as God would rule. We're meant to rule in his image upon the earth. And so that's another thing that frustrates us is when we see earthly rulers that don't rule well. When we see government officials or generals of armies or whomever doing something that once again we would call ungodly or unfair or unjust or whatever word would come to mind, it is because we know that we should not be ruled by something that is not going to represent godliness. You see, when Adam was the only one and he was given rule over creation, that was easy. And then there's a marriage and God gave them each roles in that marriage. Then there are children and God gave parents rule over the children and then came other humans. So we know at some point just by sheer population that one human is going to have to have an authority position over another human. But we inherently expect that they're going to rule us as God would rule us and that's a rule that we can be okay with because we are made to rule as God would rule. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it is why we hate injustice so much. It is why we see so much in our world where people are standing up and saying, wait a minute. Now, all throughout our history, actually, not just today, but today is a very good example. When we see injustice, we say this is not right because humanity is supposed to rule as God would rule and God is just. And so everywhere we look, we should see justice. It's even why the Bible says, look, the godly cares for his animals because we're supposed to rule and care for creation as God's caretakers of creation. We were meant to rule, not to be ruled. Verse 29, God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. God's other good intent for us, the fourth one, is that mankind would not lack. Hunger is not supposed to be. Starvation is not supposed to be. Famine is not supposed to be. Thirst is not supposed to be. But I'm going to tell you, I think it goes further than that. You see, the reason that it only refers to that physical hunger right here is because that's the only thing that Adam needed in the garden was food. 
But God continues to reveal himself throughout the course of history and throughout Scripture. And at one point, even gives himself the name that says, I am Jehovah Jireh. I am the Lord, your provider. To provide is who God is. That we would always be provided for and we would not lack is God's good intent for his mankind. He never wanted us to be in this place where we're saying, wait a minute, where is what I need? Why am I going hungry? Why am I going thirsty? Why do I not have what I'm supposed to have? I believe this foreshadows just the goodness of God all throughout our lives. If you're following along, you're gonna have to jump. Now, we're gonna jump all the way to chapter two, verse 15. Look at something else that happens in the story. And it says that the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. The fifth goodness that God was doing for you and me was that mankind would have purpose for his life. Mankind would have purpose for his or her life. See, here's the thing. Uh, the, the garden at this point was great. It was beautiful. God had made it. The plants were yielding things. I mean, God didn't put him in a desert. God put him in an amazing garden. And then he told him to work it. Why is that? Well, because as beautiful as this garden is, if all Adam had to do 18 hours a day is lay under a tree, about day two, that's just going to become point, kind of meaningless, right? Pointless. It's like, wait a minute, God, there's got to be more to why you made me than to lay here under this tree and then get up and pick an apple and eat it and then go do something else. So God put him in the garden to work it. Think about that. Why? Why would he? But again, he did it and he did it to give us meaning. But For some of you, you're thinking, that does not sound like meaning or purpose, right? Okay, first of all, there are no Fortune 500 companies yet. Uh, There are no airplanes for you to design. So what Adam was given to do was relevant to his place in history. And God puts him in the garden to work it. You need to understand, does anybody actually enjoy gardening? Does anybody, like, that's a, there's not a lot of hands here. I'm glad somebody, otherwise we would have no trees. Too many of you city dwellers around here. But there are people who actually enjoy gardening, And so this is what it was like for Adam. He got to go and do enjoyable garden. That means he was not digging in red clay. He was was digging in very soft sand and it was pretty and it was was nice and it was easy and it was like, you know, potting soil and he got to put the beautiful little thing there and he got to prune this a little bit and he got to see that grow. And if you enjoy gardening and you do that and you stand back and go, oh, that was nice. That's what Adam was experiencing. He got meaning out of it. There was a smile at the end of it, but there was no toil. Matter of fact, what we're gonna learn later in the series is God said, this won't be pleasurable for you anymore. There will be toil. Now, the good news, since all of us did not raise our hand that we enjoy gardening, is that as history has unfolded, we have other things that God has given us to do to make our life meaningful. If you've been around Grace Life any period of time or you are around Grace Life any period of time, you're probably gonna end up memorizing this verse because it works into almost every sermon I preach because it's just passionate for me. It's Ephesians 2.10 where God say, it says that we are God's workmanship, individually, uniquely made to do good works, which God prepared beforehand. Before you and I were born, God created us to have meaning and purpose to life. It was his goodness. The fact that some of us wake up and go, man, life is just meaningless. Man, this is just stupid. I hate my job. I hate this. I hate whatever. means that we are not connected with what God has given us to do in that moment. Or sadly, I'm just going to, if I could just be honest, and I hope I don't make somebody's uh, feelings about life worse at the moment. If, if so, I hope it stirs you to better. But some of us have created an existence where the majority of our hours is spent simply paying our bills. And we are no longer trying to seek out who God made us to be and what he wants us to do. 
Now, now your giftings don't always have to correlate to exactly what you do for a paycheck. It can be what you do while you do what you do for a paycheck, if you guys follow how that works. But the point is that we should wake up whether we, we think our job is the very core of our being or we think it is something God has given us to do to get to the point of who he's created us to be. But life should not be meaningless. One of God's great intents is that we would wake up every day and go, come on, this is another good day. I can't wait to make a difference today. That's why God put him in a garden to work it, even though that garden had just been created perfectly by God, right? We're going to jump on to chapter, uh, well, in chapter 2, we're going to jump to verse 20 and then back to verse 18. I'm going to read these two out of order because since we're skipping parts, the way that I'm going to read them is going to help us make the point uh, simpler for us. And it says that the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him as he looked at all of these animals and every beast that was on the earth. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man that he should be alone, so I will make a helper fit for him. And so the sixth purpose of goodness that God has for us is that mankind would have fulfilling community. Okay, so here's the thing. I hate to tell you this, but dog is not meant to be man's best friend. I'm a dog person, and I'm glad you love your dog if you have a dog, but dog was never meant to be man's best friend because the truth is, even with every dog, something was missing. God created us to have community and connection of souls, to be able to talk human to human. And yes, we know that this is where he's beginning to create Eve, and so yes, it's pointing to marriage, but we're actually going to go deeper on the next point to get to marriage, but let's just follow the obvious. If Adam gets a helper and he's told to be fruitful and multiply, there's going to be a lot of human community very, very soon, right? And so what we see is this is the very beginning of God saying, you need more than animals. You need more than an island with white sand and blue water. That may be great after you've been homeschooling your kids because of COVID a couple of days, but at some point you need people because your soul is not meant to be alone. Our soul is meant to connect. And if you were here for like the last three, four weeks or so, we just did a, a vision series about who we are as a church and what we're going to do. And so look, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, I'm not even going to apologize for this. But one of the things that we do in our vision is to find life. And I'm not going to go back and re-preach the whole message on why we believe that we do that through community. But, but God provides part of the healing to our souls because of the brokenness of this world through other humans. He uses his other children to bring encouragement to us and to pray for us and to spur us on at our worst moments. And so I, I just want to go ahead and point out, like we were intended for the good of not being alone. It was never God's intent that we'd experience loneliness, that we would feel like there's no one on our side, that we'd feel like there's no one to reach out to. That was not. But his intent is that we would be able to say, that we've got people who know our name and they know our story. They're praying for us. They're cheering us on. They're encouraging us. And so if you do not have that, I want to encourage you right now. We, we are just kicking off our fall life groups. I want you to go and find life. Don't, don't live lonely. Don't live without this good intent. Part of the series of what we're going to do is learn how to get back what God intended for us to have. I'm just going to go ahead and pull the curtain back and tell you part of the way that we're going to get back the fulfillment to human connection is through other believers, through the family of the church. And so if you're not in a life group, please go and find one because none of us should be lonely. God did not make us for loneliness. Anybody with me on that one? And so let's, 
Let's continue that thought that God made a helper. Let's jump to verse 24 and 25. It says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. They shall become one. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. The seventh good intent that we can see God planning for his creation in the garden is that mankind would experience oneness in marriage. And, you know, I do premarital counseling, and as I make them, I always make them read, because uh, hopefully that's just how I get them started reading their Bible as they get married. And so I'll say, here, read this verse. And, and as they read that verse, and, and mankind were, you know, naked and not ashamed, and they leave mommy, and they're all thinking of the honeymoon night. And I say, what do you think that means? And they look at each other and kind of snicker, you know, because they're just, they're just silly. It's like they just go back to middle school or something all of a, sh- a sudden. And, and I have to, have to explain, look, this means more than what? everybody thinks it is. You wouldn't be snickering if you understood what it really meant. Uh, Yes, there's the obvious that they're physically naked and not ashamed, which by the way is something that we've definitely lost because we've got the idea in in order to be physically who we are that we've got to look like whatever you see on Instagram and every magazine cover. And so the world has distorted the idea that I can be me, you can be you, and we we can accept that. Adam and Eve didn't have anything to compare to, so they were at that point physically naked and not ashamed, but they went further than that. See, they were also emotionally naked and not ashamed. They were also spiritually naked and not ashamed. What what that means is that I can imagine, just maybe, maybe, it's not there, but allow me, that maybe Eve wasn't really comfortable with spiders, you know? And so maybe Eve is like, honey, I just got to tell you, like, those things, they wig me out. Like, I'm going to scream every time I see one, and Adam is like, that's cool, I still love you. Naked, emotionally, and not ashamed. You see, what God's intent was for his creation is that we would be fully known and still be loved. And that's what we spend our entire lives chasing, if I could just be honest. Even as I, we took a lot of time wording this one sentence very carefully because the minute that I say marriage, it, it's going to hurt. Uh, there, there are a few people that are going to be, amen, and there are some people that are saying, man, I hadn't talked to my wife in two days because we're having a fight. There are other people that are currently hiring a divorce attorney, and there are single people that are going, God, win, you know? I mean, so when I talk about marriage in a public setting, I realize that there are, there's a chance that there's as many people that don't want to hear what I'm about to say as do, and that's all the more reason we need to talk about it because, see, God's intent was that we would be able to live on the earth and to be fully known and still loved. That we would have one connection with our husband or our wife, such a deep soul level that it would actually fulfill what is the second deepest soul need we'll ever have. We'll get to the first in just a minute. But the second deepest soul need, and that is to have one human who knows everything. There is no curtain left to pull back and yet they still look at us and smile. That's what God intended for us. And the truth is, as we have found out, that's also the hardest thing to get with another human, isn't it? I mean, some of us have unfortunately been uh, through a situation in marriage where oneness was the last thing that happened, and, and it failed. Some of us are, are still waiting. Some of us uh, were in that at the moment, but it doesn't feel like oneness. Is a, I mean, we're, we're all in such difficult places because what we will see throughout this series is that It didn't take long before their oneness was gone because something else got in the middle. And we'll get back to that in another part of the series. But God's intent was that we would have that ultimate fulfillment with another human. 
naked and not ashamed, fully known and still loved. And finally, and most important, out of all of the list, to meet the number one greatest need of the human soul, we're going to jump all the way over to chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, and so what we see in here, the eighth really good thing that God intended for us is that mankind would have a personal relationship with God. And I want you just to think about that for a minute because God didn't have to do that. Matter of fact, if any of you in here are craftsmen at any level and you've ever made something and then sold it or made it and given it away or made it, used it for a little bit and then threw it out or planted something and then dug it up and threw it away and planted something later, we don't have a very personal relationship with our creation sometimes. But, but God, God, perfect, holy God says, I want to know you. And I want to walk in the garden. Think about that. It says God walked in the garden. He didn't just like hover as some cloud 100 feet up, you know, just so Adam's like, yeah, I kind of feel a warm thing somewhere. That must be God. No, no, no could walk in the garden in the cool of the day. Here, here's a really cool word. There's, there's a really big word. The good news, you don't have to remember. It's not going to be on a test at the end of the series, but this is for all the nerds in the room. And the word is anthropomorphism. And this word means that God takes on human qualities in his revelation to us because we're human. And remember, God is spirit, but he relates to us as us so that we can relate to him. Why would he walk in the garden? I believe the only way he's walking in the garden is, is that he took on a body that Adam could connect with and relate to. And we see the idea that he would speak. Why speak? You don't have to speak to your creation. You are great. You are almighty. You can make them. You can strike them with lightning bolts. You can do anything you want. And yet he comes because God is good out of his love. And he reveals himself to us on terms that we can understand. Because he knew we could never get to him, so he comes to us. We see that this is just a foreshadowing. It is just who God is and what he does, but it's also a foreshadowing of Jesus. Because Jesus came, he lived the human condition. He was fully human. That's why the Bible tells us that's why we have a high priest who we can pray to. Because he's been here, literally been here, done that. He's been in this body. He's been offended by some, well, maybe not offended, but he's had the right to be offended by somebody for what they said. He's had stupid people say stupid things around him. His closest disciples would argue about who was going to be the greatest when he's thinking, seriously, did you miss every point that I've been saying? I mean, he knows. He came to us and said, I want you to know me. And I'm going to know you. It wasn't enough to just be great and put you there but we're gonna have a relationship. Now look, this is not a complicated eight-point sermon. And if you didn't get the whole list, well, that's too bad. This is a simple one-point sermon. And when you leave here today, if you only hold on to this one thing, this is the one thing that I want you to hold on to, and that is that in the garden, what we see is a good God revealed his good intent for mankind in the garden. You guys get that? A good God revealed his good intent for mankind in the garden. There are too many times I've discovered as a pastor, it's not just agnostic and atheist friends from high school that question the goodness of God. We do too. Matter of fact, 
one of the key things that did go wrong in the garden that we'll be talking about later is that the enemy challenged their perception that God was good to them. And unfortunately, they took the bait. And they began to question, oh, I, you might be right. Maybe God is just trying to keep me from something better. Unfortunately, as those closest to God in the garden took the bait on that, it's become a part of our nature. As a pastor, I talk to people all the time that are struggling with what they're experiencing, saying, you know, I just don't think God is good to me. I just don't see how a good God is in charge of the world around us. And the reason that the enemy took that strategy is because if we do not believe that God is a good God, you won't worship a God that you don't think is good. You won't pray to a God that you don't think is good. You won't trust a God that you don't think is good. So if the enemy can just get us to think God is not good, well, then all is lost, right? Again, the Bible is full of those praises, the goodness of God. Psalm 31 actually says, how abundant is your goodness? So the question, don't answer because I don't, I don't want a church fake answer. Do you believe that? Do you believe that we have a good God? When we look at the garden and everything that has gone wrong in our lives and our world ever since, do we see that God had a good intent? That God revealed his goodness? That, that we can't look at that and go, God, why aren't you good? If I could give you an illustration, imagine that I'm, that I'm out with my daughter who pray, wants me to pray for her every night. And I go and I buy her ice cream. She loves cones, by the way. Always got to have a cone. And so she gets a cone and she's got ice cream. And she takes a step and the ice cream falls off the cone. She has lost something that I meant for her to have. And although it has been lost, the worst thing that she could do at that moment is to say, I've lost my ice cream. You are not good. A lot has been lost because of the garden. Most of what we wish we had has been lost, and we're gonna talk about how it was lost and how to get it back throughout the rest of this series. But just because we lost something that God put in our hands for us to enjoy doesn't give us any reason to point the finger and call him not good. Before we go any further in the series, we have got to lay a foundation that there wasn't just an evil serpent. There wasn't just a couple that turned on each other and betrayed each other's trust. There was actually a very, very bright light in the garden. It was a very good God who has a good intent, still does, for his mankind his creation. And so here's what I want you to do with that list. For those of you that did get that list, if not, I'm sure it's on the website in our notes, you'll, you'll go get it. I want you to pray that list every day. I want you to read it every day. I want you to pray it over your life. I want you to say, God, I want this. 
You know what, God, this was what you wanted me to have. I want you to give it back. I want you to begin to restore my rule. We'll talk about that too, very specifically. I want you to begin to restore oneness in marriage, wherever I am. If I'm single, God, get me ready for it. If I'm in my first marriage or my third marriage, God, make this one be the one, right? I mean, come on, we want that oneness in marriage, wherever you are, whatever has happened throughout life. This moment, God, I want what you have for me. I want us to stop doing life alone. God, fulfill community in my life. I want to see that promise done. God, I want to be your image on the earth. That means if I'm angry, I want it to be a righteous anger. It's rare, but I'm willing. But I don't want unrighteous anger. God, I want to be kind. I want to be loving. I want to speak the words that you would speak. I want to represent. Do you guys see where I'm going with this? Even if you don't hear the rest of the series, the rest of the series is designed with some very practical how we lost it, how to get it back. But I want you to imagine you're never going to hear any of the rest of this series. I want you to begin to pray, God, you wanted me to have this. Now restore it, please. I beg you, bring these things back into my life. That's my challenge for us, that we'll be people that go after what God meant for us to have. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much that you are a good God who meant good for us. We look around the world, we look at our lives, we look at history, and we know that we've lost so much. But we also know you are still good. And so you are the one that we are going to come to. You are the one that we ask, God, will you please bring it back? Restore what has been broken. Redeem what has been lost, make whole whatever is not as it should have been. Come, let my life represent what you meant it to be. If you'll just stay in a place of prayer, I want to talk to those of you who have yet to make Jesus your king. This is a very simple understanding that we have a perfectly holy God and we're not. That's not complicated. We complicate how we're going to deal with that. But God also kept that simple because he knew we could never be holy on our own. So he sent his son to live a perfect life and die on the cross so that his death would pay for our sins. And that by recognizing that as a free gift of salvation from God, we can have eternal life. If you have never made that exchange of making Jesus your King, your Lord and Savior, exchanging the life that you've been building for yourself for the one that He has for you, I want to help you do that right now, right where you're seated. If it's in this room, if it's in your living room, if it's in your car while you're driving, say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer today is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Amen. Amen. 
Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.